uh, first Game of Thrones spinoff. Remember that Game of Thrones? House of the Dragon is set to premiere in 2022. Wait, I don't know. One of those needed to be edited for naughty words, and I don't know. Oh. So I, I may have caught it, but... As opposed to that, let me offer you this other David Spade joke. The producer of James Bond has said that the next 007 can be any color, but he must be a male. I disagree. Let me explain why. You see, I want to keep working in show business. <laughs> I'm very uncontroversial. <laughs> That's a pretty good joke right there. Yeah. That's a pretty good joke. I want to disagree because I want to keep working in show business. Yeah. You got to be woke. Absolutely. You got to toe the line, man. I'm going to tell you about the smart contact lens in just a minute. It is uh, uh, the, the something out of the future, and it's now. It's really cool. Um, Howard Kurtz on Fox with a feature this morning about how the media's obsession with impeachment is going to devalue the Iowa caucuses. We were talking to Mark Halpern the other day, and he brought that up. Imagine if the Iowa caucuses ha- happen and there's some Trump story that obliterates it that day. Hmm. That could very well happen this time around. Yeah, it's half likely. Yeah. I think, you know, everybody will still figure it out. My my guess is that nobody emerges a clear winner nor loser out of Iowa, really, and we muddle on anyway. You mean there'll be a tie? In the past, the past is you win by a tenth of a percent, you get all the momentum, all the media coverage, all the you're the candidate, all the money. That's so stupid. It is stupid, but that's the way it's always worked. Well, I'll fight the stupid until my dying day. So maybe it won't work that way this time. Perhaps. Nothing lasts forever. I find it difficult to believe anything will improve media-wise in America at this point, but that would be an improvement because that is just absolutely pure idiocy. I feel like precedent has never mattered less. Oh, absolutely true. Couldn't be more true. With everything, really, but certainly with politics. Yeah. Precedent means nothing. Do you mean President Trump or just all presidents? <laughs> that's, that's a good one, Joe. <laughs> Nobody's ever won Iowa and New Hampshire not ended up the nominee, but again, that's more precedent and just might not be true anymore. Okay. Not Iowa or New Hampshire, but the boat But them, the boat As we used to say back in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Right. So here's something cool. Google Glass kind of came and went, or I don't know if it didn't work, or people thought they looked bad, or what it was. But yes. Um, how about a smart contact lens that does a lot of the same sort of stuff and it's getting really close to reality, like it's going to be coming out soon. Uh, someday when you walk down the street, a user inter- interface will appear like a floating screen in front of you and you might see your heart rate, your glucose reading, whatever you oh, that's all I need. <laughs> whatever you set it for. I I don't need to see my heart rate all day long. I needed that glucose thing last night as I was shoveling Delaney's ice cream into my mouth. I don't need that information all the time. Hey, Perhaps yeah. a weather forecast. You know what the glucose thing would be good. The more I think about it, I've allowed myself to get too fat a handful of times in my life. And I think it was the last time, but any time I get a little fat, the doctor says, you know, I do the I do the the, the blood work a couple of times a year or whatever. Uh, and the doctor said, hey, your uh, your blood glucose is too high. You're you're not in diabetesville, but you're on the road, and, and it's really uh, hit me. It sobered me. It's made me want to cut down. and I've lost weight. I think if people understood that measure and knew they were getting there, I think that might be really useful. 
Like on a moment-by-moment basis? I mean, my heart rate and blood pressure now, it goes up and down and up and down. But like on a moment-by-moment, like you're at a restaurant and you're uh, you're looking at your glucose number and you think, ah, I'll pass on the dessert. I'm pretty high already. Like, you think people would start doing that? (laughs) No. Or, (laughs) you're young, shut up. Um, (laughs) We, uh, I think if we as a society, if, 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 you know, the, the medical associations or whatever ran these public service announcements commercials that said, if you ever see a 108... Be careful, you're heading toward diabetes. You know, I mean, um, we really established that. I think I'm with Sean on this. I think it would go back to, it would be um, uh, be similar to what we were talking about last hour, where people in the top quintile get another decade of active life than people in the bottom quintile of uh, finances. And then we're trying to figure out what other things fit in there, education, lifestyle, all this other stuff. But mm-hmm. the sort of person that would have the glucose reading in front of them, yeah, they probably are going to do the right thing. The person that 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 isn't going to do the right thing is going to turn that off. They're not going to have that on their screen. Jack, they if I can aren't. save a single person, that's enough for me. But they're going to—they're not going to look at it. Yes, they are. The person I'm <laughs> you're thinking gonna make of them, did. You're looking at a. You're, you're, By definition, the person I've saved looked at it. You're going to have a government program. We have to have the leave, the leave the glucose. You know that'd be the future. That's the future. No, no, no. I that didn't would say be the that. Future, though. That would be the future. Yes, though. it would. You get Bernie Care. You get government health care. That will be the future. If we're all paying for each other, right? We all supervise each other. It's mandatory that you have that number in front of you all the time. But anyway, <laughs> circle of trust or something they they said in the Chernobyl movie when they were describing communism. Sounds... No, no, that's not a person trailing you. We are all just making sure that we are all on the same team. That's oh, pretty good. That sounds nice. Yeah, good. That's a good thing. We're, yeah, we're, Bernie, I'll bet you think it's good. You're communist. We've sidetracked this conversation, though, about this wonder of technology, because you don't have to have a glucose reading in front of you. Oh, um, sorry. You walk down the street, and you got a screen that floats in front of you, and you might have your health statistics. You might have the weather forecast. You might have a map in front of you. Oh, I turn here. That's the stores over there. Mm-hmm. Maybe the We've talked about this before. Maybe the name and title of the person you're about to run into. See, that's Jim my favorite Smith. thing ever. President of marketing for this company. You had lunch with him last month. Right, Jim! you can throw notes. Yeah. There, there are also industry-specific things that these can be used for. One of the demos that the company putting this out uh, gave to these reporters uh, was targeting a very specific set of customers, firefighters. I saw a floor plan of the burning building I had just entered. Wow. Yellow lines began to form outlines of tables and chairs within the smoky room. Graphical symbols marked the locations of other firefighters, even when they were separated by me from a, by a wall. Uh, numbers at the top of my view showed my oxygen tank level, communication signal strength, and other data. Oh, and that's alert, strong, man. An alert began flashing, instructing me to get out of the structure. Yeah. and That's all, fabulous. All kinds of occupations obviously could have that. Surgeons, firefighters, cops, all kinds of different stuff. I tell you what, I did a training exercise with firefighters once years and years ago, and it was uh, the whole point of the exercise was... Um, uh, staying disciplined, staying together in a smoky room where, where visibility was very low and how to deal with it and that sort of thing. And it was terrifying. Yeah. It was terrifying. So, uh, yeah, I, I love that idea. So, anyway, this is called the Mojo. I mean, you, uh, I'm sorry, I, I should explain that. You couldn't see anything. It. You couldn't see anything. You knew there was fire. Even though it was a training exercise, bearing down on you, there's a fair amount of violence in hauling the hose and and dealing with what fires. So you get jostled around a lot, so you're disoriented in the dark, and you might get cooked. So, yes, it's nice to have that data. I think that's a great idea. So this is called the Mojo Lens, billed as the world's first true smart contact lens. And, you know, we've gone through just a, a tiny number of the ways that it could possibly be used. 
and uh, DARPA's hugely interested in it. Imagine oh, for well, military bet. people yeah. how great that could be. There's still a prototype under development. They did a big demonstration at the CES in Vegas last week to show that it does work. You you, you move around some of the stuff uh, with the just little eye movements, I guess, is the way you control the screen to a certain extent. But That would take some practice, it sounds like. But I, I've been yeah, saying, can you imagine if guys, um, I'm picturing like an infantry uh, squad, had a little readout of where all their guys were. I mean, how incredibly handy and life-saving would that be? Of course, most of us will be playing some sort of stupid video game with it or watching porn. Yes. That's what it'll get used for. Clearly. Mostly. Or some sort of pornographic video game. You're um, in a long meeting at work, and uh, you're just watching porn as you stare right at your boss, and your boss has no idea. Yeah. Um, uh, the minute this is developed, though, the Ruskies, the Chinese, the North Koreans, they're going to start trying to hack it. Hack into your iris. Oh, Lord. Um, I have been saying for years that I think in the in the near future we'll all be wearing some sort of glasses or helmet or something like that. No, nah, it's going to be just a contact lens. Yeah, less, much less obtrusive. And I think that'll happen. We'll have something in our ears and something in our eyes. <laughs> like we need more stimulation and and you know moment by moment anything. But I think that's just the way it's going to be. Everything we need to hear and see is going to be right there in our head. Of course, you know that's the uh, interim period before the chip in the brain. It, we are I mean, why Why do I need to pipe something into my ears and vibrate my tympanic membrane when I could just have it straight into my cerebellum? Mm-hmm. I'm not the first one to or come up. Or cerebrum or hypothalamus or something or other. I don't know. I took that class a long time ago. It's not my theory, but I'm a, an increasing believer in the we are a technological butterfly. We, we are... We are caterpillars wrapping ourselves in technology in ways that will impact us that we don't yet comprehend. Oh, I'm sure we and don't. And the end game is some sort of machine hybrid computer, you know, computer lenses for eyes, sort of. Yeah, I, the I, end game is the dinosaurs taking over again yes. because we're going to kill ourselves. May, may, may I take you back to Monday's show in which I read from the 1998 Wired magazine all the great things that were going to happen when the internet really got up and going. The end of partisanship in politics and (laughs) facts rule the day. No more, you know, nonsense and all that sort of stuff. So unintended consequence. So we're just explaining all these great things that will come out of having these contact lenses. Mostly peace, love, and understanding. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? People, half of people have committed suicide because you can't stand that much input in front of of your eyeballs all the time. Well, what are you going to do? The good folks at Google are taking a very close look at the mass suicides in America, but uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it'll be exciting. I hope it happens in my lifetime. Why did an airline force a woman to take a pregnancy test before she got on the airplane? It's a surprising thing to do there in the aisle, uh, but they did it. That among other stories. And you might agree with them. Oh, really? Mm. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty Show. My nine-year-old, almost ten, you can't start saying ten with kids. You can't start saying the next year with kids. They'll call you on it, even if it's the day before. Although, at the same time, if a kid is nine and a half... You can't call him nine. No. You know, when you're a grown-up, you you just kind of round up to the next number. You in know, my uh, late 40s, uh, mid 40s. Anyway, my uh, my nine-year-old who's going to be 10 next month last night, uh, he, uh, he's in bed and I was telling him good night and everything. He said, is tomorrow Friday? I said, yeah. And he said, all right. And that was the first time ever. And I thought, yeah. there it is. That's for the rest of your life. 
That is for the rest of your life. Yeah. The recognition that, thank God. Finally. Oh, God. He said, why has it been such a long week? I said, I don't know. Some weeks are just like that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why it felt like a long week to you. but That is so funny. It is. And, uh, you know, and it's just, it's just interesting to think he's got, you know, 70 years of that. No, <laughs> <Yo>, boy. <laughs> why don't you tell him that? I'm not going to. <laughs> Lie awake staring at the ceiling. I remember one time saying to my dad, and I was... Uh, I was a full on grown up with a full time job. Of course, that could have been any time, like after fourteen, practically. But um, I remember at one point on a Sunday night saying, "God, Sunday night," and I just I lay there in bed and I just think about it, another week. And my dad said, "I've been doing that my whole life." Like, okay. <laughs> Welcome. I guess, I guess this is just the way Welcome, it is. Welcome, my son. <laughs> so we have some kind of breaking news. You know, um, uh, Hillary, uh, Hillary, Nancy Pelosi, um. um Announced who she was going to have running their side of the whole impeachment thing, and it's Adam Schiff and Gerald Nadler and the same faces and that sort of thing. But the Trump side is full of new folks, the, the, you know, from the legal profession. Trump has named his impeachment defense team, and it's going to include Ken Starr, oh, who ran the whole uh, Bill Clinton impeachment thing, yeah. and most importantly, I think Alan Dershowitz, Harvard law professor, interesting, who's going to be on the team mostly to argue against the idea of impeachment. Um, and that it's being used too trivially, trivially, mm-hmm. in a trivial manner. Um, uh, he thinks it's for bigger deals than this, and he'll be making that argument. And I think he brings in a hell of a lot of gravitas to the well of the Senate as a guy who can't stand Trump, voted for Hillary Clinton, and was against Bill's impeachment. Right. Uh, you can't dismiss him as some Trump hack. Oh, no, no. I tell you what, looking at the... Do we want to talk at all about impeachment here or just the news? I mean, because I can I go either way. Headline. I find this... I just... I like this stuff, so I find it interesting. I would be willing to bet any amount of money. I want everybody to picture an amount of money in a wager that would horrify their spouse. I would be willing to to bet that much money, however much that is in your life, that... Well, I guess this is kind of an easy bet anyway, because the Senate is what the Senate is. It's heavily Republican. But that obstruction of Congress charge is a joke. That there is zero chance. If Lev Parnas shows up arm in arm with John Bolton with a tape recording of the president saying we should assassinate Macron, the obstruction of justice, uh, our Congress thing, still will not stand. I just read a great piece by Michael McConnell who's, um, he's a professor right now, the director of the Constitutional Law Center at Stanford University. He's a former appellate judge, and, and just his lead is really all you need to know. Never before have so many congressional committees issued so many subpoenas de- demanding documents and testimony from so many executive branch officials with so little attempt to negotiate or accommodation. President Trump says he will invoke executive privilege on, quote, all of them. Attorney General balks at appearing before a House committee to discover Discuss the Mueller charges. Democrats threaten impeachment. Solemn commentators proclaim that Trump's refusal to comply subverts America's constitutional system of checks and balances. How quickly Washington forgets when it is convenient. Trump is not the first president to resist congressional investigation of the inner workings of his administration. And Barr is not the first cabinet officer to negotiate the terms of his appearance before a committee. In fact, the responses are unremarkable. Points out President Barack Obama in 2011, the House Oversight Committee investigating the disastrous uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms and explosives operation, the infamous uh, uh, Fast and Furious. 
Um, and he goes on in great detail about Attorney General Eric Holder absolutely refusing to comply with any subpoenas from Congress. Blah, blah, blah. Held in contempt. On and on it went. Um, the House actually voted 255 to 67. A vast, overwhelming bipartisan vote to hold Holder in contempt of Congress. The House went to court to seek his compliance. The Obama administration said no. They ran out the clock, and it, it died in court. This sort of thing has happened over and over and over again. The House says, you got to talk to us. The uh, White House says, no, we don't. And judges decide. So that, ju- that, that charge is just a joke. And I was thinking about this this morning. I think it exists purely because if Nancy and company came to the Senate with one charge, abuse of power, which is... Look, I don't like the Ukraine thing. I didn't like the call. I get that. But if that's it, and it's a purely partisan impeachment, that looks pathetic. I think the obstruction of Congress is just padding. So we got a text about the smart contact lens we were just talking about a little ago. Think about it. Think about it. This will be the first time you'll have a video of someone looking up. Straight ahead, but still manages to walk straight into a wall like a dullard. <laughs> there will be a lot of that. <laughs> All right, we don't have time for this, and it's my own dang fault. Uh, a, a woman was forced to take a pregnancy test to get on an airplane. To prove she didn't have something else stuffed inside her? <laughs> what? What is it? That's uh, delicately put. Uh, we'll get to that, and you might think it was a good move. I promise I'll pay that off. I next. doubt it. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Breaking ish news stories. The Trump team is going to include Ken Starr, who ran the impeachment effort against Bill Clinton. He's a pretty good lawyer. Um, and more importantly to me, Alan Dershowitz, Harvard Law, who I knew the Trump team wanted. I was just wondering if Alan Dershowitz wanted to be part of it, but he believes strongly that the founding fathers didn't mean for this sort of thing to count as an impeachable offense. He thinks it uh, it is lowering the bar for impeachment, even though he doesn't like Trump. He voted for Hillary, et cetera, et cetera. He's a, he's a liberal. He doesn't like really anything Trump stands for or does. But uh, And I think that's a really big deal for Trump's side because it gets you away from the facts of the story. Because to me, he did what he's being accused of. He's trying to strong somebody to get dirt on an opponent. But so Dershowitz is trying to argue, yeah, but that's not the sort of thing they're talking about. It's an interesting argument. And and I think that I, I helps know. out other Republicans. Republican senators vote no, mm-hmm. that argument. He also agrees, oddly enough, with March Nancy Pelosi, who said, there's no way we go ahead with an impeachment unless there's bipartisan support for it. But then her lunatic caucus, you know, shook her by her wig and, and, and convinced her to do it. But both Dershowitz and Nancy are right. The other uh, breaking-ish news, and I don't know how to take this. Uh, there, like a man. There were 11 U.S. troops injured in that Iran missile attack. Oh, Why yeah. is this just coming out now? How injured? You can understand why if you had 11 people that weren't 
you know, horribly injured, you'd you'd want to tamp that down while we were trying to get that whole thing going there at the beginning of you missed on purpose. We're ramping down. Right. You're ramping down. We're not going to have World War Three. I think it was the cool passions that they kept it quiet. Uh, my understanding is they're all treated for symptoms of concussion, probably from shock waves, that sort of thing. Or I don't know, but that that's the the report I heard. And and half the time, preliminary reports are wrong. So take that with a grain of salt. Either wrong or either wrong by uh, accident of reporting, fog of war, or wrong on purpose. Because if you have right. somebody with severe I mean, they were tested for traumatic brain injury. You have somebody with some severe TBI? It can change their life. I mean, well, in tragic can, ways. And could change the narrative of this whole story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As Trump had said, you harm another American soldier, and we got 52 <sighs> sites we're going to hit. Traumatic brain injury. Ask anybody who's had it. It's sure as hell harm. Interesting. We'll see. Uh, we'll bring you those details as they emerge. So, 25-year-old Midori Nishida was flying on a Hong Kong Express Airways plane in November to the island of Saipan. Jack, are you familiar with Saipan? It's part of the northern Mariana Islands, mm. which are right off the coast of Palm Beach, Florida. No, I'm, I stand corrected. Between they're, there and Rhode Island. They're 50 miles from Hawaii. <laughs> I don't know. Or next to Norway. Or in the middle what of Manhattan. What am I, a Manhattan. sailor? Somewhere in the ocean. Right. Somebody Google it. <laughs> Jack, the northern Mariana Islands are are notable. They're they're very fertile islands. Many, many women give birth to them. In fact, more foreign women getting off airplanes give birth on the Mariana Islands than the residents do. It is one of the, uh, the United States' leading anchor baby birthing sites. And it's mostly Chinese gals. Now, Ms. Nishida certainly sounds uh, Japanese. Uh, yeah, she lives in Tokyo. You have a baby in the Mariana Islands and they're a U.S. citizen? Yeah, because it's a U.S. What? territory. I couldn't have told you that. Yeah. I could not have told you that. Yeah. And uh, evidently... And you're a U.S. citizen with everything that entails. The kid does, is, yeah. Wow! Yeah. Cradle to grave uh, security. Yeah, if you ask Bernie. Yeah. Um and and the concept of an anchor baby is practically unprecedented on earth. It is a terrible policy. It's not what the 14th amendment is supposed to give. It's just a mistake. But anyway, yeah. Um turns out this gal uh, who lives in Tokyo grew up uh, in the Marianas and and she said, "No, I'm not pregnant. I just want to go home to see the folks." Um and uh the airline says they were trying quote to ensure US immigration laws were not undermined. Evidently, we have been putting pressure on the airlines to do something about birth tourism. I'm not sure what they're oh, supposed yeah, to do. yeah, no kidding. That's a and, guess, but and, uh, otherwise, why would they? And since when can I not travel when I'm pregnant? Well, if you travel to the Mariana Islands while you're pregnant, there's only one reason you're going to do that. Really. And it ain't the Healing Salt Springs, either. I get that, but the, uh, how are you going to make the airlines enforce that? I, I know. This seems very strange to me. And initially, uh, the airline said the part uh, the test was a part of a fit-to-fly assessment. It is apologized, however, unreservedly for the incident. Um, many Chinese women give uh, travel to the territory to give birth. And, and listen, my good friends, uh, the Chinese government is well aware of everything their citizens do, including... Uh, flying to the United States, whether the mainland, it's a huge trade in California. Chinese gals fly into California to give birth so their kids are U.S. citizens. And you don't think 
President Xi and the Chinese Communist regime have a list of those kids? Wait a minute. These are Chinese nationals that are also United States citizens? We're going to be giving them a little special schooling throughout their lives and then little special training when they're adults, and then we're, they're going to send them to their homeland, the U.S., and they're going to do just a little bit of work for us. It's just so freaking obvious. I, I hate that I even have to point it out to you that that's going on, but it's clearly going on. Uh, Ms. Nishida lives in Tokyo, grew up in Saipan, and filled in a questionnaire before the flight indicating she was not pregnant. Despite this, airline staff demanded she uh, uh, grab a test strip and go to the the toilet. Then do, well, then to pee on it. Test came back negative. She was allowed to board the plane to see her family who had lived on the island for more than two decades. She called the ordeal very humiliating and frustrating um, and said uh, that she couldn't believe it, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, that seems like an odd thing to do to your passengers. It seems an odd thing to do for the United States to ask an airline to do. Hey, if uh, you happen to see a, a gal with a big belly get on a flight, do us a favor and kick her off, would you? Just tell her she can't fly. Make something up. I, we don't know. <laughs> what kind of policy is that? How about we just change the stupid law? Popular article in the New York Times. Just reminds me of something that happened to me last night. We're living in a subscription world. Here's how to navigate it. Lots of tips out there from various publications on that. I came across yeah, one yesterday. You. Need it. There was some Patreon account I had signed up for, I don't know, two months ago, six months ago. I don't know where. $5 a month. Hardly anything. A Patreon account? Like supporting something you believe in? Or is that like a subscription thingy or both? Uh, both. Yeah, okay. Um, um, and there's a gazillion things on Patreon. But anyway, it's just one of those subscriptions I'd signed up for and completely forgotten about. Oh, boy. Just completely forgotten about. Now, it's only $5, but they add up, obviously, you know, all of them. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it's what they're counting on. I've watched one Hulu show in the last nine months, I think. <laughs> I don't know why I still have that account. but um, Wasn't there... Uh... I think you were actually one of the victims of a, a certain gigantic telecom company. Yeah. That may have started on the Atlantic and had telegraph and telephone. Anyway, they were tacking on tiny little phony baloney charges on people's phone uh, phone bills because times 50 million. Yeah. You know, adds up to a lot of Oh, money. it's a huge amount of revenue. Bastards! I wish we could do that. I wish there was a scam we could do somehow like that. That's what they are. I'm I'd do it immediately. Uh, probably Listeners, I'm... tell us how you want to get scammed, and we'll we'll pick the best one. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> um, we ought to have a GoFundMe page. Make us richer. <laughs> how? Go, please. Go infinite. <laughs> how prepared are you for retirement, or how prepared are other people for retirement? And that's going to matter. Because when other people aren't prepared for retirement, they're going to come for your money. <laughs> That's just the way it works. I've heard Nancy Pelosi actually use the term excess savings. Sure. Uh, this uh, These stats are amazing. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Game of Thrones spinoff. Remember that Game of Thrones? House of the Dragon is set to premiere in 2022. It's going to get good around 2024. <laughs> and it'll get bad around 2030. 
The uh, GOT spinoff takes place 300 years before the original Game of Thrones, and it's called Larry King, the High School Year. <laughs> wow! Larry King comes in for a kicking <laughs> for no good reason. Why? <laughs> I should have left it in, but one of the stand-ups on the waiting to to do the panel discussion did a too soon, too soon. <laughs> He's still alive. He's like, Is he? <laughs> That's funny. Wow. Oh, Good Morning America is doing the eye drop killing. The sentencing is happening uh, today. Did you follow that? It's another one of those. Uh, I've heard of the phenomenon. Did the wife do the husband or the husband do the wife? I don't remember which one, but one of them was poisoning the other with just a little bit of eye drops. Poison is a woman's weapon, Jack. In their coffee yeah, sure or every morning? Dude. dude croaked it. So, yeah. So the cumulative, one drop at a time, slow poisoning. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you can get away with it, but sometimes you don't. Depends on the autopsy. Yeah. Um. Oh, and the viral. You just do that for every day, month after month, month after month. Then push them off a cliff. <laughs> That's how you do it. One of the uh, viral videos of the day is a one-armed golfer hitting a hole and run. I guess that's just oh, that's to make nice. two-armed golfers feel bad about themselves, I guess. Well, I don't think that. I think it's supposed to be a life-affirming and awe-inspiring moment that a handicapped man triumphs. I don't know. All the commentary, I've, all the commentary I've seen on it is about how it's supposed to make people with two arms feel bad about themselves. <laughs> I already feel bad about myself. No need. Uh, here's the grade most Americans give themselves for retirement readiness. This is uh, scary as we go further and further down the road of uh, everybody's got to be equal. And if you didn't end up equal at the end of life, clearly you were screwed by the government or racism or men or something. You were cheated. It's certainly nothing to do with life decisions. And now you got to take from the people who've got something and give it to the people that don't got nothing. Right. A majority would give themselves a C grade or lower in terms of their retirement readiness. And a third of those in their 40s and 50s would give themselves an F, according to a new study. A Harris poll. This is a real poll. This is not, you know, um, IHOP or something. Uh, about 53% of those in their 50s have less than $100,000 saved, and just 12% of respondents, 60 to 79, have less than a million stashed away. A million sounds like a lot, uh, according to the survey. Get down to uh, some more of the numbers behind the numbers. Boy, you're in your 50s, and you've got $100,000 total saved in your family retirement. Uh, I would get cracking. Yeah, that's the problem with time. It's hard to make up time uh, with, you know, 401ks and that sort of thing. It, it, Nearly it consult your tax advisor, but you can actually double up on your 401k once you're in your 50s. That's what I'm it's doing. It's called the catch-up provision or something like that. That's so, what I've been doing. So ask somebody about it. Nearly half of those in their 40s have withdrawn money from their retirement accounts because of life events. Oh, boy. Yeah. Boy, you got to sell not, a kidney to the Chinese before you do that. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, only one in Somebody three. Somebody else's kidney if you can get it. Uh, you, Joe would just mention the catch-up contributions. Only one in three. People between the ages of 50 and 79 take advantage of the catch-up contributions for their 401k. Wow. Only it's it's pre-tax money you can put away. It's such a good idea. Oh, yeah. Well, I got bills. Yeah, I know you do. But you're going to have bills when you're old, too. And perhaps find a way to lower your bills. Um, 
Yeah. Getting back to Netflix subscriptions and various things. Yeah. Drive a crappy car. If you can uh, put in money to your 401k, you're much better off with a crappy car. This sort of thing's easier to say somebody else should do than to do myself, but it does strike me, especially, and, and it's funny, it's such an obvious point, but it's such a useful one. These days, canceling a subscription is effortless, and restarting it is not only effortless, there's no penalty. It's not like in the old days when you'd have to write a letter or call and argue with the guy from Comcast or or, or whatever, or companies would say, no, you don't get to cancel and then start again, whatever, because there are all these and so No, turn it on, turn it off. So anyway, having said that, it'd be an interesting experiment, I think, to just cut everything absolutely to the bone. Well, here's my Call it the month of poverty and, and design special, uh, I don't know, hats to wear or something like that and make it a thing in your family. Cut everything for a month then say, okay, what do we absolutely have to have back? I know you've done this recently, Sean, like with eating and stuff like that. You've talked about like how you really clamped down and you're amazed at how much money you saved. I remember doing that many times oh, throughout yeah, my life. Forcing myself to, to eat at home more. Uh, uh, it's astounding. Like if you really do clamp down on something, just how much money you save. It's mm. I can get a, a full tri-tip and grill it up for what I used to spend at like one or two happy hours. And I eat that for for almost a week. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Or throw it in the uh, freezer. And, oh, yeah. yeah. But here's one of the most amazing stats out of this whole thing. Roughly 60% don't plan to cut back on spending until they retire, while nearly 70% wish they had started saving earlier. So you wish you'd started saving earlier, but you don't plan to cut back on your spending now, and you're probably giving yourself a C grade or lower on your retirement readiness. And you, and I'm looking at some of you, (laughs) are going to pay much higher taxes and have money taken away from you because of people who chose not to save. And then when they get to retirement and realize, oh, my God, I'm poor and my life is miserable and the rest of it, um, they will vote regularly and politicians will. Um, they will comply to the wishes of those people and they will take money from the savers. Oh, here's a stat that more people should be aware of. This is this is a good one. This should be God, this should be on billboards on the highway. We do some ads for us for some people that help you with retirement. And this is a stat that they throw out a lot. But here it is from Harris. Half say they retired earlier than they planned to. Oh, yeah. We all have like a kind of a number in our idea of when we, when, how long we're going to work. Everybody does that. Only half of people get to make that decision. Mm. Either you get fired or that career, that industry goes away, or you get hurt and you can't do that anymore. Or health what, problems, spouse yeah, health problems. Whatever there are a lot of it is, yeah. only half of people actually get to work till that number. So, boy, that's something. That can, so, so, you got... People giving themselves a C or lower for their for their readiness for retirement, that's with the assumption that you're going to get to work to X age. Mm-hmm. Half of all those people aren't even going to get to work till that long. You're going to need your money earlier. Yeah. So that, yeah. that snowballs the whole thing. You know, and not the point of this is not to make you miserable and scared on a Friday. Although, maybe the point of it is for me or anybody to, eh, don't get the expensive glass of wine at dinner tonight. Or don't go out to eat. Or whatever. Right. One of the more interesting things I've read recently, I read way too much about rock stars. I don't know. I'm a musician and I've been a music freak my whole life. But Jeff Tweedy, who's the leader of a band called Wilco, um, was talking about his problems with substance abuse. And one of the things he learned in, in, in getting, you know, going into recovery and, and getting himself straight was coming to grips with the fact that he was making decisions all day long, that his patterns were actually not preordained or necessary. They were decisions. And, you know, we as a culture have gone from save and spend as you go. When you have X dollars saved up, that's when you buy a car. 
That was the culture 50 years ago. And in uh, the blink of an eye, 50 years, that's Betty Davis. It's uh, not Betty Davis, Betty White. 50 years is the blink of an eye. In that time, we've gone to Betty Betty White's 98th birthday. Happy birthday, Betty. She is two years younger than Prohibition. Where's her Betty White clips? She's a lesbian. Huh? How many times are we going to mention Betty White and not play a great clip of the funny lady Betty White? Anyway. Michael, get off eBay bidding on one of those impeachment pens and pay attention to the show. She's a lesbian. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we've made that transition as a society. And, and you know, what you were talking about reminded me, every dollar you spend other than, you know, your medicine for your children and the rent and the rest of it, just understand that's a choice. Everything you do financial is a choice. You, you know, you keep it up with the Joneses. You got a big house. You got a couple of new, new. You buy a new car every three years, whatever. All those things are a choice. Be honest with yourself about that, and and try to make better choices for yourself long term. It is so easy, and I'm not lecturing you, friends. I'm lecturing me. <laughs> it's so easy to get swept up in the current of our culture. And make decisions that are bad for ourselves long term because it feels like everybody else is. You know, listen, it's easy for me to say this because I've always been like this since I was a little kid. I'm, you know, the, the great individualist. But screw everybody else. Screw the culture. Think about what's good for you. Understand that spending habit is a decision. That's a little advice because I love you. Half of people in their 40s say they plan to rely on Social Security in their retirement. If you're depending on Social Security, you are going to be poverty-stricken. Yeah. Oh, well. Again. Whoever says that? Who in the government has ever... Have you ever heard a candidate say that? Hey, if you're going to count on the government, you're going to be poverty-stricken. That is the truth. But nobody ever says it. Why not? I just said it. Because people won't vote for you when you say stuff like that. I don't care. 